Pastor Raul, and it's good to be here with you and those online. Welcome. Uh, this is my first time back in the pulpit since I was gone for three months. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very kind of you to receive me back after taking so much time off, but uh, it, it was good, and I'm uh, thankful to be here today. Uh, so in preparation for this time, I went and took a walk around Green Lake. And that was good. And that was good. I was really praying and asking the Lord, how do you want me to prepare? What do you want me to say? What do you, how do you want me to you know, share what's happening with the triumphal entry? And God didn't do any of that. <laughs> God did a work in me. And God brought to mind uh, a relationship in my life that has hurt. And that was a surprise. It was sort of out of nowhere, like, what are you doing, Lord? What are you working in me right now? And after some time, the Lord said to me, I don't want you to go have a conversation. I want you to accept who they are, forgive that they have not been who you expected them to be, and no more be ashamed of the relationship. God helped me to see that I was being held captive by my own unacceptance, unforgiveness, and shame of this relationship. These attitudes, which, you know, originate in the heart, they are keeping me from, from healing and from peace and from freedom. Can anybody else relate to this about a relationship in your life? Because if you can, then you can relate how we do this to Jesus. In the same way we, we block the king of glory from coming in and doing the ongoing work of salvation in us because we don't accept him as he is. We don't forgive him from doing what we've expected him to do in our lives. And so we're ashamed of our relationship with Christ. These attitudes keep us captive. And the truth is, on this day in particular, Jesus has come to set us free from what keeps us captive. And freedom, freedom is what we're here about today, right? This is a celebration. It's a celebration of liberation, a celebration of freedom. And this is the heart of the good news, that we are freed from what keeps us captive in our lives. Today can be a celebration of freedom if we can open ourselves up. And continue to be saved. So today, I've, uh, I've titled the sermon, Stockholm Syndrome. How to fall out of love with your captors and in love with your Savior. I believe that God has made plans to do a work in someone's heart today. I just, I just know it. I know that some are ready to reject their captors and receive their Saviors, but maybe don't know how. So today, I pray that as we are ready, that it's not just an individual, but us as a church that open our doors wide, just like Psalm 24 said, open our gates to receive the King of glory. See, for us, uh, we are needing to, in this story, uh, uh, the gospel is marked super short, right? Like it's just very specific details. Mark kind of expects that we understand information around the story to understand the power of the story. So today we are going to enter the story around the story so that we can enter in with Christ in his triumphal entry. 
or he didn't just enter the temple 2,000 years ago. Today, he's here, and he wants to enter into a temple of living stones. So let's jump into this. The scene begins with Jesus at the outskirts of Jerusalem, Bethphage, Bethany, Mount of Olives, with his disciples. Why is he there? They've come for the Passover festival. The first three Gospels make it sound like this scene is the first time that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Maybe just to kind of like emphasize the point, this is a really important visit. But when you read the Gospel of John, you see Jesus was in Jerusalem all the time. And why not? Because Jerusalem was where the festivals, the three annual festivals took place that all Jews in the surrounding areas would come to. The Festival of Booths, Pentecost, and Passover. The festival of Passover, arguably the biggest and most significant, remembers how the blood of an unblemished lamb protected them from the angel of death, providing a way of escape from their captors, the Egyptians. The annual Passover festival is why Jesus and his disciples have come to Jerusalem. But here's the thing. A lot of other people are there too. So, Others, like religious leaders and the Pharisees, they've come to Jerusalem to preside over the festival, but they're also there to enforce the hundreds of purity laws that they've created and put on the people in an attempt to help them be holy. They're the overseers of the oughts and the shoulds in Judaism. Most of these were not commands that were from God, but rather Again, the Pharisees created and pushed on the people. So if the people wanted to be perceived as holy, they would be and do just right to follow these purity laws in the sight of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and religious leaders, though, were not the only purveyors of the oughts and the shoulds at this Passover festival. Roman officials were there to enforce Roman law. And to remind Jerusalem that they are a nation state that is ruled by Rome. Josephus, a historian of the time of Jesus, estimated that uh, Jerusalem's population would swell to 2.5 million people, which was more than the population of Rome. So naturally, Rome was nervous about potential uprisings. So to quell that before they had started... A week before the festival, a week before Palm Sunday, Pontius Pilate and a company of Roman officials would come into Rome and they would demonstrate their power to the people. You guys ever seen or do you remember this old movie, Gladiator? Uh, Yes. Gladiator would, uh, when they came into Rome behind Caesar, the gladiators, there was this huge throng of gathering with people playing music and receiving Caesar and the gladiators. That's exactly what it would be like going into uh, Jerusalem so that the people could be reminded of the power of Rome. So you'd have Roman soldiers carrying swords and shields, marching in perfect cadence. You'd have drummers playing, trumpets blaring, and Roman flags with the SPQR emblem on it, uh, flying as they marched in through, and Pontius Pilate, the, the visage of Caesar, would be at the center of all of that, and he would be fully armored, like a military leader 
on a war horse coming into Jerusalem. And they would, they would parade their might through Jerusalem. They probably came in, if you have a map here, uh, they probably came in on the west side. Oh, am I in the way? I am. So they probably came in on the west side, maybe through the Essene Gate or up to the Fish Gate, and they would march their way through uh, Jerusalem, and they would make it up. Do you see the top right there? Antonius Fortress. It's, and they would march their way all the way up there. I'm going to move myself so you all can see this. And they would uh, make sure that the Jews knew that their might and their power was evident because if they stepped out of line, they wanted to make sure that those people knew, the Jews knew, there was deadly consequences to pursuing freedom outside of Rome. And if this isn't a sign of oppression, I don't know what is. I mean, look, the fortress is bolted to the Temple Mount so they could observe the Jews' activity, hoping and intimidating them so that their worship of God didn't lead them to the desire for freedom. So you see, between the Pharisees and Rome and the demands of both, The people were hemmed in. They're captive to both religiosity on one hand and to nationalism on the other. And if they didn't demonstrate fidelity and submission to both, they would most certainly lose their lives. And they didn't want to. Whoever died a death that resulted in life, they had no choice but to give in and learn to love their captors to save their lives. And giving in to the voice of captors as what Levi Polly almost did a few years ago. Wrestling with discouragement and depression, he started to ask if it would be better for his wife and his kids if he were no longer around. He was asking himself this one night when he drove to our Holy Spirit training called Dunamis. And on the way there, he came upon a scene with a man who had just shot himself in an attempt to end his life. And so Levi, with all his military training, medical training, jumped in, but couldn't change the result. And instead of going home, God directed him on to come out to our training nonetheless. Jesus was waiting for him there. And during a time of prayer, God gave him a vision. He saw his right arm from the shoulder down just mangled and cut and crushed. And he was scared. But then Jesus was right before him, cupping his hand over his arm and just kind of running it down. And every place his hand ran over was healed and whole and fresh. He told me and our intercessors there about this vision, and we told him, God wants to heal you in your life today. Can we we pray for that? And he was willing. And so we we prayed over him. We identified uh, the, the harassing spirit of depression and cast that out, and we called upon God to do what God showed him he would do in the vision and heal Levi. Levi has told me that that night 
gave him a freedom he didn't know was possible. Being freed from the voices that kept him captive truly changed the course of his life. And I just talked to him, just asked him for permission to share this today, and he, he tells me that that healing is still effective in his life years later. And this is what Jesus is planning to do as he parades into Jerusalem, now on the other side of town, to free captives and become their king. See, Jesus likely entered on uh, the east side of town. Oh, can you put up the map one more time, Casey? He probably entered on the east side of town because we have the Mount of Olives over there and then uh, the, the road to Bethany. So he likely entered on the Golden Gate or the Southeast Gate there on the east side of, the, of Jerusalem going right into the temple. Thank you, Casey. You see, at this point, Jesus knows what people expect of him, that he would be a king who would rival their Roman oppressors, that he would break their power over them, that he would smash the regime, that he would, he would usher in a, a whole new world order. Jesus knows this. He understands the expectations of him and the politics of the day. So he planned ahead to have a different kind of parade which was in line with his politics and his campaign as a king. Jesus chooses to come into Jerusalem as a king of peace and humility, as opposite as Rome as possible. And the first indicator to this is him riding a young donkey. No, he's not signaling that he's a Democrat. (laughs) The donkey was a symbol of kings returning victorious from battle, and they would bring peace with them. A horse is for war, but a donkey is for peace. The disciples are sent on this errand for the donkey, which has never been ridden, set aside for divine use, for Jesus' use. And as Jesus approaches on the donkey, people throw down palms for the donkey to walk on and are yelling designations at Jesus. The people have mixed expectations for this king, this possible king, Jesus. See, on the one hand, some people are saying, blessings on the coming king of our ancestor David, Hosanna in the highest. These folks are laying down palm branches, expecting Jesus to be a warrior king, a warrior king like King David, into a revolt like the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean Revolt was 150 years or so before Christ and was led by a Jewish country priest in Judea near Jerusalem. And it was against the Seleucid Empire, who were Greeks that ruled over the Jews. Now, in time... That little country revolt actually earned the Maccabeans their freedom. And they lived in a relative peace for a time until Rome came in and crushed them. Guess what the symbol was of their revolt? A palm branch. A palm branch was their symbol of revolt. And that's why when Rome came in and crushed them, they outlawed dancing and celebrating with a palm branch. 
Perhaps some throwing palm branches that day under Jesus and his donkey were zealots, like Simon, his disciple, who were militant Jews wanting to rebel and overthrow Rome. So that's on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, you have people yelling, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a line from Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 also says, it's far better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust any human leader. Perhaps those yelling this and laying down palm branches perceive Jesus for who he truly is. God's holy savior, Messiah, who they've been waiting for. During, well, you see, there's another reason that people would be throwing palm branches on the ground. Because this is Passover. And during Passover, you need one-year-old unblemished lambs to actually complete the ritual meal that we read about in Exodus, that, that first Passover. And so what they would do is they would, they would per, have a parade of lambs, right? And they would march them into Jerusalem, and in order to keep them pure and keep their hooves out of the mud, they throw palm branches on the ground to keep them unsoiled from the earth. So now we have Jesus, the Lamb of God, riding on a donkey, the King of glory, and he walks into Jerusalem on palm branches as a symbol of his purity and readiness to become a sacrifice for the people. I'm going to say that big mouthful one more time because it kind of brings us, it brings it all together here. Jesus, the Lamb of God, riding on a donkey, the King of glory, walks into Jerusalem on palm branches as a symbol of his purity and readiness to become a sacrifice for the people. Are they ready to receive them as he is? A king without a kingdom, suffering servant, Emmanuel. Are we ready? Psalm 24, it says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. The mighty gates and ancient doors of the world are ready to open and receive Jesus Christ to enter. The mountains bring themselves low. The valleys bring themselves up. Water allows him to walk on it. Rocks sing out in praise in in place of our praise. All of creation rightly praises and is ready to to receive the king of glory. Yet we resist. Why? Why do we resist our Savior who rides humbly up to our gates, the gates of our hearts, and knocks? It's because we've given our hearts to intruders, which have taken up residence in our souls and sold us on promises of love that never fulfills. The beauty of a worldwide phenomenon like COVID 
is that it's laid ourselves bare to each other and ourselves. There's no hiding what we've given our hearts to and how empty some of those things leave us feeling. We're waking up and realizing we have been lied to and are openly searching for the one thing that will truly fulfill us and love us. This search is so pregnant with raw emotion and urgency in people today that I believe the harvest of souls for Christ is ripe like no other time in history except that Holy Spirit Pentecost at the beginning of the church. At this moment in time, we are seeing one of the greatest population migrations in the world since, since World War II. And alongside that, I believe we will see, we will witness one of the greatest movements of salvation to Jesus Christ in world history. It's a ridiculous claim, isn't it? It's a ridiculous claim, but I believe it. And you know why I believe it? Because I've witnessed it. I've witnessed what happens when people are hungry for healing and how God will come into their lives and change them. He will free them. And then they become people who want to share their story too. They are not ashamed of Jesus. They are not ashamed and they want to share what Jesus has done in their lives. And the people that are ready to receive Christ are those who are desperate. Those who are not in control. Those who are in need of of a savior because all other things have fallen out of the bottom. Experiencing freedom and healing myself has led me to pray with people and encourage them to let go of the lies and reject those harassing spirits and take back their hearts. Take back their hearts from fear they believed was keeping them safe. Take back their hearts from performance they believed made them valuable. Take back their hearts from hatred they believed that kept them righteous. Take back their hearts from power they believed kept them in control. Take back their hearts from lust they believed would lead to a human connection. Take back their hearts from approval they believed would make everybody happy with them. Take back their hearts from possessions that they believed made them important. Take back their hearts from shame because they believed they didn't deserve love. These and many others are the occupying enemies from which we need to take back our hearts. Take back our hearts and ready them for our Savior. And if you're worried whether he'll be good to you, don't be. Jesus doesn't come in like the enemy to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus comes into you to help you die a good death to the things that are killing you. Friends, you do not need to tolerate the harassment of your captors anymore. And I say in Jesus' holy name, I break the power of those lies in this room right now to open you up to hear this truth from our scripture. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, 
and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And he says again in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So don't be inebriated by fear anymore. Be filled with the Holy Spirit to be in love and be in your right mind. The king of glory is marching into the stronghold of your soul right now. He's coming into you to free you from your captors and invite you to love him. Will you let him in? Will you receive the king of glory? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. So in this moment, being in your right mind and in the mighty power and love of Jesus Christ, if you are ready to be free from your captors and to commit to following Christ as a disciple, let's say this together three times. I reject my captors. I receive my Savior. Again, I reject my... I receive my Savior. One more time. I reject my captors, I receive my Savior. I told you, today is a celebration. It's a celebration of liberation for those who would open their hearts to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus loves, Jesus loves a broken spirit and a repentant heart. For it is this kind of humility that opens our gates to receive him as Lord. The acknowledgement that we have loved the things of this world, our emotions and our lives even more than Jesus is the beginning of repentance. Saying sorry to Jesus for missing the point. And remember, our, our Father is not angry with you. He loves you. There is more rejoicing in heaven at the at the return of one who was lost than those who have stayed. He's not mad. He's pleased with you. And he loves you and he wants you to return. So when we repent, we take the next step. And the next step is actually turning away from the old life and turning towards Jesus as King and Lord. When we do that, he will receive us. And we are living into the essence of the Lord's prayer, which says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you've truly opened your heart to him today, know that you have his forgiveness. He forgives you. And as of today, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. So let us seal this commitment together, this receiving as a community Jesus into us, collectively, living stones. We, together, make up the temple of God now. And so it is we that must receive in the King of glory. So let's, together, seal this commitment that we've made today by receiving and taking communion. For on the Thursday night of this coming week, Jesus went to an upper room with his disciples for the Passover meal. 
and it was pregnant because they started to wonder at, who is this king? Who is this Jesus? And so he, at the meal, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember me. So let's receive. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't have to deal with cellophane. And uh, in like manner, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood and the blood of the new covenant. And as often as you drink of it, remember me. And as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim Jesus' good death until he returns. Amen? Let us worship.